So let's move into our sermon. Therefore, go and make disciples. Matthew 28, 19. Many of you could probably quote that whole verse, right? It's just like one of our deals. We, we, those of us who are, who, are, who are longtime members or maybe lifelong members of the churches of Christ, there, there are two or three verses of Scripture that we know. We know Acts 2.38 really well, right? We know Mark 16, right? We know Matthew 28, right? We know those. And, and a lot of it is because we as a church body have historically placed such a huge emphasis on the, the concept of baptism, which I think is appropriate. I'm not against that at all. I kind of like that because it's kind of like biblical, if you know what I'm saying. Uh, so it's a, it's a good thing that we, we, we put some emphasis on that. But we know two or three verses of Scripture. Jesus said, go and make disciples. He was speaking to those who are gathered with him as he's just before he ascends to, into the heavens. But, so what is a disciple? The most basic of definitions, it is a Christian. In Acts 11, chapter 26, it says, and in Antioch, the disciples were first called Christians. And the interesting thing about that word is that the word Christian then substituted for the word disciple through the rest of the New Testament. Because once you leave the Gospels in the book of Acts, the word disciple or discipleship is not used anywhere else in the New Testament, which I find very interesting. I don't have an answer. I just find it interesting that that word is no longer used in the New Testament. So it, it, is, a, it, is, it, it is an interesting concept that Jesus says, go and make disciples. He said that. Go and make disciples, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I've commanded you. And he says, Lo, I'm with you always, even to the end of the age, or at the end of the world. That's what Jesus said to us. And yet, discipleship, or the word disciple, has a short life in the church. There are some other words that had a short life cycle in the church. One of them is the name of the church. Do you recall what the name of the church was in the very beginning of the days of the church? It was called the Way. Now, how would you feel about us if we changed the name on the front of the building out here and said, The Way? It'd be cool. I mean, in a way, it'd be cool, wouldn't it? Because that's what it was in the very beginning. And, and you know, another one of our, our uh, wonderful expressions that we like to use is we speak where the Bible speaks and we're silent where it's silent. And, you know, The Way would be appropriate. It'd be a little weird for just a few of us because we've grown up all of our lives in a church of Christ. And so I just want you to see there's some, there's some transitions that were taking place even in the earliest days of the church. Even in the earliest days of the church, there was a period of transition. Transition never stops. Never does. The transitions never stop. Think about your own life. Think about your experiences, your life's journey. However old you are today, think what it was like 10 years ago. Even if you're on the first couple of pews and you're however old you are on the first couple of pews, think what life was like 10 years ago. And for those of us who are over 20, think of what life was like 20 or 25 years ago. And for those of us who are like 50 plus years of age, what was life like 50 years ago? There weren't any beepers. And some of you don't even know what a beeper is. There weren't any fax machines. Some of you don't even know what a fax machine is. There sure weren't any computers. And a smart, and a, yeah, a smartphone? The only phone I had when I was a kid was the one that was attached to the wall with a really, really long cord because my mom got tired of standing by the phone, so she got a really long cord. She could take it into the kitchen. I'm even old enough to remember when a few people could hear your phone calls other than those in the home. They were called party lines. 
and you shared a phone number with any number of people on your street, and if you picked up the phone and someone was yapping on the phone, you had to be patient enough to wait on them to finish their conversation. And if your patience ran short, you could always pick up the phone and say, how much longer are you going to be on the phone? I need to make a call. When I lived in Atlanta, I preached a funeral for a gal who she and her husband had bought a little piece of property on the north side of Atlanta in what is now called the city of Alpharetta, and it was right adjacent to Highway 400 that's a major corridor running from Atlanta north up into Forsyth County. She and her husband had bought this property back right at the end of the Depression. They had a few hundred acres. She lived in a three-room home. There was a bedroom, there was a kitchen, there was a little sitting room, a parlor. There was one light bulb in the kitchen that hanged down from a string, electrical cord that had a pull string on it. There was one light in each room. There was a hand pump, literally a hand pump in the kitchen sink to draw water with. There was no hot water in the house because there was no bathroom in the house. Life is full of transitions, isn't it? I preached her funeral. She refused to leave her home, even though she had a few million dollars in the bank because she'd sold her property. With stipulation, she could stay there until she died, and she just wouldn't leave the house. Life is full of transitions, and we cycle through things. And one of the things that we have to keep coming back to and reexamining is what causes us to be people who are disciple-makers. Think with me just a moment. What do you like to do? I mean, what do you really, really like to do? Now, some of you like to fish. Some of you ladies may, may be knitting, or, or my wife is an avid quilter. She makes quilts all the time. If she has a spare moment, she's sitting in a sewing machine or doing something, making a quilt for something or someone or somebody. What is it that you like to do? All of us, virtually every single one of us, unless we're like three years old, we probably have one of these. This is a phone. Dorothy, do you know what this is? We all have one of these. This is a phone. And the cool thing about phones is it connects us with the whole world now. The cool thing about the phone as well, though, is that there are apps on the phone. Any of you got an app on your phone you're addicted to yet? A few? That's a... That's a reasonable answer, a few. Anybody have Facebook on their phone? You just can't help but look at it? A few people are like that. Yeah, I'm not there. I don't have Facebook on my phone either. Have a game on your phone that you just enjoy playing and you seem to want to do it all the time? Amen. Amen? Amen. Yes? And there's nothing in the Bible about not having an app with a phone that has a game on it, so it must be scriptural or at least appropriate, yes? Transitions. There are things that we love to do with our phones. There are things that we love to do with our time. And we've learned how to do them. Did you know that? You learned how to do those. You weren't born necessarily with an innate desire to have an app and a phone and just get hooked to it. There are certain foods that some people love to eat. Did you know that? I mean, just really love to eat. Some people absolutely love to go to barbecue restaurants. They just do. Some people absolutely enjoy sushi. Some people love other kinds of foods. I don't know what your favorite is, but there's a reason that you have a favorite. And the reason that you have a favorite is because you've learned to like it. Somewhere, somehow, in your past life, earlier in life, you were exposed, you were introduced to something, and you learned to like it, and you liked it a lot, and you kept 
getting more and more of it. Maybe not to the point that you're obsessed with it, but it is truly a favorite thing that you do. And God has called us to be engaged in discipleship. He has called us to be engaged in this process of making disciples in a very real way. He's called us to help make more Christians. But how do you do that? And why in the world would God need us to help Him do anything? He is God, is He not? And He's capable of doing much, most anything that He wants to do, yes? But you know, it's interesting. Because, I mean, Paul wrote it to the church in Corinth. I planted the seed of Paul's water, but God has, God's been making it grow. But go back all the way to Genesis. Even in the book of Genesis, God asked for and instructed man to work with him in taking care of the garden. Genesis chapter 2, the Lord God took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to work it and care for it. Heard a cute story one time about this old farmer. He had a beautiful garden, and this gentleman was driving by who didn't really grow up in the country, didn't live in the country, lived in the urban city area, and he drove through, and he stopped, and he saw this old farmer working in his garden. He got and I said, you and the good Lord sure have a beautiful garden. And this is super rocky soil, probably Arkansas or something like that. But uh, this, this farmer said, well, he said, uh, it's beautiful now. But when God had it by himself, it didn't quite look like this. <laughs> have you walked through a forest lately? I mean, really, have you walked through a dense forest lately? There aren't any straight rows. God didn't design the forest that way. And if you've ever been to the desert or been through the desert recently, have you noticed that the rock formations are amazing? But they're not in straight lines. But God has called us as people to work with him in the world to accomplish whatever it was that he wanted to accomplish. Yeah, he could do it all by himself, but he didn't choose to do that. He chose to use us. And so Paul writes, I plant the seed of Paulus water, God's making it grow. And so even though God at the end of the day, God ultimately at the end of the day is the one who's responsible for the corn growing from the corn seed that's planted or the beans growing from the bean seeds that are planted or the pine Pine needles falling and the pine cones falling from the pine trees that are planted. God ultimately is responsible for all of that. He invites us to join him in the journey of working. He calls us into ministry. He calls us into life. And he calls us to come alongside him and work. Because that's what he intended for us to do. To work with him. 2 Corinthians chapter 2 gives us a little bit of an insight as to how we should do this. Because I can just tell you right now, there are very few among us. One of the guys is standing up right now. He's stepping out for a minute. But, but not to embarrass you, Javon. But there are very few of us in the church who would want to stand up here and preach. But there goes one of them. And he's very capable. In a few weeks, you'll get to hear him. This guy that uh, did the communion and, and, and led us in some meditation today, he's going to preach for us next week. And Ken DeBose has been a preacher in his past life. And even though it's not his favorite thing to do now, he can preach if he needs to. This guy sitting right here could preach if, he, if we needed him to. Yeah, you, with the M on, the big M right here. I think that stands for Missouri. No, I'm sorry, Michigan. He could preach. There are a number of us in the... But you know what? Not everyone is called to be a preacher, yes? Not everyone is called to even to be a teacher, yes? We're not. So how do we go about this whole thing of making disciples? How do we go about this thing of making other Christians if we're not called to be a preacher or teacher? See, that's the $100 question. And, and oftentimes, we've been 
We've been tricked into believing, maybe by Satan, maybe by our own minds, but we've been tricked into believing because I'm not a preacher, because I'm not a teacher, because I'm not an evangelist, I'm off the hook. It's not my job to make Christians. It's not my responsibility. That's their job. They know how to teach. They know how to preach. They know how to be an evangelist. So it's their job to make people Christians. But I want to show you something this morning that I think will help you see that making Christians, making disciples is way more than just having someone teach or preach or be an evangelist. Paul writes in 2 Corinthians, Thanks be to God who always leads us as captives in Christ's triumphal procession and uses us, uses us to spread the aroma of the knowledge of him everywhere. For we owe to God the pleasing aroma of Christ among those who are being saved and those who are perishing. To the one we are an aroma that brings death, to the other we're an aroma that brings life. I got up early this morning. I had a cup of coffee, and on my way in here I stopped at Starbucks. And I didn't get one of those wonderful sandwiches that they sell that has the ham and the cheese and all that stuff. I got a little bag of nuts and fruit. Some breakfast, eh? My stomach is ripping me on the inside because I'm so hungry right now. I know there are donuts, and if I ate one, my wife would kill me, so I can't eat those. But I would love to. I'm very hungry. So the sermon is over. No, <laughs> uh, really, we're close. We're close. But I have to talk about aromas for a minute because you know what? Aroma is important. And, and the question that I want to raise is, have you ever, I mean, all of us have experienced this, but have you ever gone into a restaurant or gone to grandma's house for Thanksgiving or even gone home after church on Sunday and the pot roast is in, in the crock pot or in the oven or whatever, and, and before you even get into the house or get into the restaurant or get into the door, <clears throat> even of the church building, when someone brings in the donuts and you know that they shouldn't have brought them in because you really want to eat them, but you can't. Have you ever smelled something that was wonderful? Now, the other side of that coin is, have you ever, ever smelled something that wasn't so pleasant? You've had that experience as well. My wife is from South Georgia. There's a little town about 30 miles from her hometown named Jessup, Georgia. At one time, they had the highest per capita of incidence of cancer in the population of any other city in the whole North America. And the reason they did is because there are like three paper mills in that town and all of the chemicals that are the byproduct of the paper mill, not only from the air but in the groundwater, had been so depleted and polluted that there was just this huge high incidence of cancer. Have you ever smelled a paper mill? Such an aromatic experience. But it stinks. And it smells horrible. And it truly is the smell that leads to death. All of us, all of us, without exception, have an aroma of Christ. What does that look like? Well, it's your spiritual gift. Because every single one of us have a spiritual gift. Remember Acts 2.38? Repent and be baptized and what? You'll receive what? The gift of the Holy Spirit. Now your gift might be preaching. Your gift might be teaching. Your gift might be evangelism. But your gift may not be either one of those. It may be something else. 
It might just be wisdom. You think, man, what does wisdom have to do with anything? Well, have you ever had a conversation with someone and they needed someone to kind of guide them through the conversation and you became that voice of reason, that voice of compassion, that voice of hope, that voice that is just there for them when they need someone and you spend time with them and you explore their life with them and you let them explain and kind of open up to you and all of a sudden there's this relationship built that if you work that and and help them in the right way, that relationship leads them to... Jesus. Maybe it's the gift of faith. You see, I know all of us have different levels of faith. Some of us have huge amounts of faith. Some of us have very, very small amounts of faith. But regardless of how big or how small it is, our faith can be an aroma to someone who is around us. When things go really, really, really bad in someone's life, or maybe in your own life, where do you turn? Who do you turn to? There are a lot of people in the world that will turn to some artificial stimulant to help them get through that situation. Maybe it's a drink, maybe it's a smoke, maybe it's a drug, maybe it's something else, and they'll turn to things like that. Where do you turn? And to whom do you turn? That's faith in God, and when people see that, it can lead them to the path to know Christ. Maybe it's a gift of healing. You may be thinking, well, man, Ed, is is healing possible? Well, why not? Does that mean I'm going to lay my hands on you and, and you're going to automatically get your sight back or spit in the dirt and rub some in your eye like Jesus did and go say, wash in the pool of Siloam and you'll be able to see again? I don't know. I'm not beyond believing that God has the capacities to still do that if he needed to. Amen? He can do that. We got a guy that usually sits over here. The Alsops are out of town today, but Brother Alsop, what, six years ago was told, hey, you're going to die. Get your affairs in order. He's cancer free. He's cancer-free. Praise the Lord is right. And you told a story in class this morning about your daughter who got whacked in the head. I forget how, but she got whacked in the head and there was all kinds of stuff going on. And guess what? It's all good because of God. Maybe it's the gift of prophecy. I'm not talking about fortune-telling. That's not what I'm talking about. But prophecy is when you can proclaim the Word of God, because that's really what a prophet did. He just proclaimed the Word of God. He proclaimed it. Maybe it's the gift of helping. Maybe the gift of guidance. Maybe the gift of prophets. All of those are different kinds of gifts. So just think about this. Not all of us are evangelists. Not all of us are teachers. Not all of us are preachers. But all of us have been given some spiritual gift. And somehow, some way, that is your aroma That's your aroma. If you walk out the doors right there, on the left-hand side, there's a little table with some material and information about our ladies who make the dresses for the little girls in Africa. You know, that can be a ministry that will lead others to Christ. Because when you are in the community and you tell someone about this thing where we're making dresses for girls in Africa, and we meet on Saturday mornings once a month at 10.30, whether they're a believer or not, guess where they can come on Saturday at 10.30? They can come right here and hang out with a bunch of like-minded Christian women. Guess what's going to rub off? A little bit of that aroma of Christ and making dresses. You guys get where I'm coming from? 
It's not the preaching, it's not the teaching, it's not the evangelist. If you want to know the truth about it, more people have been brought to Christ because of some personal relationship and friendship than any preacher evangelist has ever done. Because if you go and survey any church, and I don't care what church it is, from, from the big mega churches in the world to the smallest of churches, 85 to 90% of anyone and everyone who sits in a church is there because of a personal relationship that they had with someone else who said, hey, why don't you? It's not the preacher. It's not the teacher. It's not the evangelist. It's folks just like us, all of us, who have some gift, some spiritual gift. All of these work. One and the same, because it's of the one and the same Spirit. He distributes them to each one of us just as He's determined. All of us, my mic just died. I'm still on, but my mic just died. It's okay, can you hear me? All of us have the opportunity to do the work that God has called us to do. And all it is, is being the aroma of Christ. That's it. And so when you think about what God has done for us, he's given us an amazing opportunity, a truly amazing opportunity to reach others around us. And it's all in the way we smell. It's all in how we act. It's in what we say. It's in the heart, in the compassion, in the empathy, in the sternness even at times. But it's in our being what God has called us all to be. And so I invite you to join me on a journey over the next several weeks when I come back and preach. And let's look at these gifts. Let's look at how God used them in the lives of people that we can read about in the New Testament. And let's examine ways that you and I can use them in our everyday walk today so that wherever we are and whatever we do, Number one, we do it in the name of Jesus. Number two, we do it all to his glory. And in doing those things, others will come to see Jesus and allow us to help bring them into the family. See, God could do it by himself because he is capable. But he's chosen to use us. So may we be his feet May we be his hands. May we be his voice. But more importantly, may we be the aroma of Christ. Let's stand and sing this song, How Great Thou Art, because God truly is great. He is able to do great things. If there's any which we can pray for you this morning, if you've never made the decision to accept Christ as your Lord and Savior, we invite you to that decision today. We can baptize you right here because the water is ready, and you can begin today to be the aroma of Christ to the world around you. Let's sing together. Oh, Lord, my God, when I in awesome one